Let's pray. Father God, we ask for your help as we come to your word. Uh, help us to read your word, apply it to our hearts, Father. Uh, lead us in the way of repentance and faith. Uh, help us to respond uh, rightly to, your, to the coming of your Son. Uh, help us to comprehend the enormity of Christmas. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Last week, we looked at what Christmas means. A light has dawned. That light that brings life and truth and joy is none other than Jesus. He is nothing less than God himself. God descended into the darkness as the light comes to the world. And so then Jesus is the light that we all need. That's Christmas. But what do we do with that? I mean, we've heard this story so many times, haven't we? What do we do with it? The divine light, which is God himself, became man. How do we respond? Well, today, as we open up Luke chapter 1, I want us to think and consider Mary's response. First thing to notice about Mary's response is that she's thoughtful. What do I mean? Well, let me explain. The angel appears with a message from God. And Mary simply takes on everything that's dished out, right? I mean, the real story here is that Mary is excited about an angel talking to her, right? She's over the moon. And there's no scepticism and there's no questions. She just swallows it and goes. Blindly swallows the whole deal like it's blind faith. Is that right? Is that what we saw in, heard in the Bible reading? And the answer, of course, is no. Look at verse 29. Mary is actually greatly troubled at the words of the angel and wondered, she's giving deep thought to what kind of greeting this might be. I bet that's she's wondering. She's, what's going on here? Uh, do we see straight away, as we consider all that Christmas entails, that the experience of faith includes using one's brain and asking questions. Now, you might say, oh, yeah, but Adam, Zechariah, that didn't go so well for him in verse 18. You, you might remember that. And sure, there's even a school of thought amongst Christians that you never ask God why. So what's the difference? But maybe it's as simple as being open and the other being obstinate. All Zechariah does, he outlines obstacles, maybe worse, they're excuses, I'm too old, and then he's charged with unbelief. Such is the nature of his heart. But Mary, that's not the case. Mary asks how. And maybe Mary is open to possibilities in her question. There are people like Mary who are open to the truth. There are people like Mary who are humble and willing to adjust if it can be shown. Yet maybe there are others like Zechariah who use doubts as an excuse to control their lives and keep their minds closed. Raises the question then straight away, well, which one am I? Well, which one are you? Do our questions show an openness to the truth of the gospel? 
Are you open to possibilities that God is showing you in the wonder of the gospel? Or are your questions about the gospel just a bad cover for plain obstinance and pride? As we respond to Christmas, see also that Mary's response is, it's not all at once, it's gradual and unfolding, it develops. Her faith develops in stages. So verse 34, she asks, how? I mean, this that's right, this news is incredible what she's heard. That the infinite would be imminent, I mean, that's bonkers, surely, that God will become man, that David's forever king would appear. And what follows her question, verse 38? Verse 38, I'm the Lord's servant. It's just simple acceptance. It's not like it necessarily all makes sense to her right there and then. She's not saying, oh, it's all clear to me now. I totally get it. I love this plan. Let's go. Rubbish. No. Despite fears and reservations, there is simple submission and trust. Mary doesn't have everything worked out. No way. Not everything is solved. But she's able to take the first step of acceptance. She's got the puzzle box in her hands and she's got the first couple of pieces. What's the next step? Well, it's when she later meets up with Elizabeth in verse 39 that her heart then is truly engaged. It all seems to come together a little bit more. There's more pieces of the puzzle being put on the table. And Elizabeth confirms all that the angel has said. And so she launches into praise. Now her soul glorifies, her spirit rejoices. That's verse 30. Um, that's verse 46 and 47. She's saying the same thing with emphasis. And so for Mary, her response moves from the mind and mental assent and even duty. And now it involves her very heart, her will, her emotions. And this is the way of faith, can I say. The way of faith doesn't always or doesn't happen all at once. Often it's slow and unravelling and growing like putting the pieces of a puzzle together. And notice too, here, faith isn't something that you control. You're not in charge of it. No, God, he opens our minds and our hearts. He punches through our denial and our hard-heartedness. It's like he's the one that gives us those puzzle pieces. It's God that puts the finger on us, the finger on our hearts. He comes to us and he sorts us out, doesn't he? And it's God who shows us the incredible, who opens our eyes to other possibilities, including the impossible. He helps us to see the truth about ourselves and about him. And then after that, he enables us to rejoice and give ourselves in thanksgiving. So the one who made us in the beginning, he remakes us. He makes us again. You get a taste of this in Titus chapter 3, verse 4 to 7. Let me read it. It says, When the kindness and love of our God, our Saviour, appeared, he saved us, not because of the righteous things we had done, uh-uh, 
but because of his mercy. He saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us generously through Jesus Christ our Saviour, so that having been justified by his grace, we might become heirs having the hope of eternal life. And so our response, well, like Mary, we should respond with wonder. And that's the next point. Here is a mark of faith, a true mark of Christian faith, is wonder in the Lord, wonder in the gospel. Verse 46, my soul glorifies the Lord, my spirit rejoices in God my Saviour. Mary has moved uh, to the very depths has been moved to the very depths of her being. And part of this, it is about the fact it's happened to her. So verse 49, the mighty one has done great things for me. Uh, But do you see it? God has spent centuries heading towards this day and now he's going to save the world. How? Through this unwed teenage girl from the rural back blocks out of Nazareth. And it is incredible. None of us know what it's like to be in Mary's shoes. We don't stand in this salvation storyline like Mary does. That's all true. She is a hero of faith. And it's true, there are some experiences we can't relate to. But that doesn't mean that there's nothing for us to learn. I mean, here's a question. If this is what's happened to Mary, are we ever amazed at how God works in us and through us where we are today. I mean, we sing the carol, don't we? O little town of Bethlehem. And one of the lines is, O holy child of Bethlehem, descend to us, we pray, cast out our sin and enter in, be born in us today. Well, if the words of that carol are true then every Christian then is not so unlike Mary. Everyone who puts faith in Christ, we receive the Holy Spirit. It is Christ in you. The hope of glory, that's Colossians 1.27. So as you comprehend that, does that shock you? Christ in you that the Holy Spirit would take up residence in your heart, that despite our weaknesses and flaws, God would give us a mighty gift. And so isn't it true that no Christian should be far from this kind of astonishment and wonder? None of us should be. And maybe it's true that this kind of astonishment and wonder is the mark of someone, anyone, who truly understands the gospel. See, do we we get what Christianity is at this point? Uh, If you think Christianity is mainly going to church, believing a creed, living a a certain kind of life that's upright and moral and jumping through the hoops, then there'll be no note of wonder and surprise about the fact that you're a believer. There's no wonder about that. If someone asks you, are you a Christian? And you say, well, yeah, I'm I'm trying my best. Uh, Well, then Christianity is then something that you do. It's done by you. And because it's done by you, then there's no 
space for astonishment or surprise. But if Christianity is something done for you and to you and in you, then there has to be a constant note of surprise and wonder. Think about the hymn. I will sing the wondrous story of the Christ who died for me. See, if it's all about you and what you've done, the wondrous story, can I say, ain't going to be so wondrous. I mean, the song will become, I will sing the wondrous story about how I went to church and did my duty. That's, that's not that wondrous. It's, uh, nah, nah, that's not a hymn I want to sing. The Christian says, no way. No, it's wonderful because it's all about what Christ has done. And so if someone says, hey, are you a Christian? The answer is, well, yeah, I am. And it's a miracle. And it's all of God's grace, yet he did it and I am his and it is wonderful. All right, now take a deep breath now and we'll move to the next point. Notice the next thing is Mary's willingness to surrender. Verse 38, <laughs> this is just incredible. Verse 38, can you comprehend these words? I am the Lord's servant, may your word to me be fulfilled. Don't gloss over them like you've read them a hundred thousand times before. You should be staggered by this answer, especially given how it rolled with Zechariah. How? And it invites us to ask the question, well, see Mary's obedience to God and his word. It's God's word. I'm therefore the Lord's servant. That's basically what she's saying. So then a question for me has to be, well, Draycott, how do you go with obedience to God's word? How do you go with obedience to God's word? How does our church go with obedience to God's word? Our national or our global church? <laughs> Are we the Lord's servants? Have we turned our lives over to Christ to do his will and not ours? If that is true, can I ask you again, are you living in obedience to God's word? Have you placed your life into the trust of his care? That's a right response to Christmas. That's shocking, isn't it? But there it is. Here's another question. I want you to think about the world and the universe. And my question is, does Jesus hold it all together? And if the answer is yes, how? If you're going to come to me with Hebrews chapter 1, verse 3, it says, by the word of his power. Amen. And if that is true, if Jesus holds and sustains the universe, all things together by the word of his power, and we ask him into our life, you know, at that point I'm reckoning he's a little bit more than just a personal assistant, isn't he? At that point I'm thinking Jesus is a little bit more than just a... Uh, a hip, cool life coach. If Jesus really, really is like that, you don't want to treat him as anything less than the Supreme Lord. See here Mary surrender herself to God. And what is she being asked to do? Think about this again. She's being asked to bear a bastard child. A baby that's illegitimate. To carry it in a rural village. 
where there's no hiding. We, we know what it's like to live in a rural village and, yeah, there's no hiding. She's been asked to take on a life of shame and disgrace and even possible stoning given the illegitimacy of the child. And tell me again, what is Mary's answer? I'm the Lord's servant. That's her answer. And maybe she's dreamt of marrying Joseph and having a home and kids and all that. (laughs) No, I'm the Lord's servant, she says, submitting herself to all that lies ahead. Think again what this means. Surrendering, Surrendering to God means delving even lower and becoming infinitely less than she already was. Such was the culture. Yet she's going to do it. And she'll watch her son get executed. Think of all the darkness that Mary embraces here when she says, I am the Lord's servant. May your word to me be fulfilled. Now think about that. Now think about now. Today, who doesn't know who Mary is? She's one of the most revered people in history. And so when Jesus says, those who exalt themselves will be humbled and those who humble themselves will be exalted, when he says that in Matthew 23, verse 12, it rings true in an earthly sense. Or in Matthew 16, verse 25, when Jesus says, whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will find it. Again, it rings true, doesn't it? In the life of Mary, the poor teenage girl who's going to lose a life. All part of God's plan to save the world. And the angel says, what does the angel say? The angel says, for no word from God will ever fail. With God, anything is possible, really. And history shows the angel is right. History shows the angel is right. And so the invitation then here in this Christmas season for you is to surrender. The invitation is to surrender and to not lose heart. 2 Corinthians 4.16, do not lose heart. Though outwardly we are wasting away, inwardly we are being renewed day by day. For our light and momentary troubles are all achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. But that can't be our greatest motive. Our greatest motive for surrendering cannot cannot be for what he will do in us. It must be to love him for what he has done for us. And we know every sacrifice Mary made for Jesus. We know that Jesus did infinitely more for Mary. Be very clear about that today. Every sacrifice of all the darkness that Mary embraced on account of Jesus know that Jesus did infinitely more for Mary Mary accepted that she was going to go down in the world but again as we think about Mary going down think how far the son of God came down from heaven to earth God became man for crying out loud it's incredible in Mary's shame culture she accepted God's word and She didn't deviate, even at potential risk to her own life. But Jesus accepted God's will, knowing it would cost him his. 
when Jesus was in Gethsemane, he said he didn't want the cup. He actually said that. He actually said no thanks to suffering for a moment. But then he said, but not my will, but yours. And at that moment, that's a real I'm the Lord's servant moment, isn't it? Not my will, but yours. May your word be fulfilled. The obedience of Jesus to his father would plunge Jesus into darkness, a darkness unlike any other. And from this infinite darkness comes what? Infinite redemption. An infinite glory that outweighs them all. Which means that we are way ahead of Mary. If you've been sitting there listening to this thinking, I can't keep up with Mary, (laughs) you have the resources to far exceed Mary if you can believe that. We can now stand back and see the story. We can see Jesus, our great servant and saviour, see him surrender himself all for us. We can see all the pieces of the puzzle laid out on the table before us. A puzzle, pieces of which call us to respond. And maybe this is the Christmas we can say, Lord, if you did all of this for me, then I can trust you and do this for you. Do what? It might be as simple as forgiving someone. Lord, if you can forgive me, then I can trust you as I go out and forgive others. It might be as simple as suffering for the gospel. Lord, if you suffered like this for me, then I can trust you and I can go out and count the cost for the gospel. Surely. Or maybe this is just a cure for our doubts and insecurities. Lord, if you did this for me, then I can trust you and do this for you. And I've got to say, when Christians live like that, man, that is some Christmas gift indeed. Amen.